proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the reformed confessions of the faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The confessional collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron Carr, and I am your host, joined as always with my good friend Chris from the sunny state of California, and we are joined also by uh, two guys who have moved from other states to come to the glorious state of Michigan, so I want to introduce them. Malcolm. Malcolm has come from Houston, but arisen, originally not from Houston, actually the, the glorious state of Missouri, right? Yes, Kansas City. Kansas City, the, yeah. the greatest barbecue on earth, I hear. Yeah, Nick, but Memphis is number one. Are you allowed to say that? Well, I'm gonna have to say it. I grew. I'm a native of Kansas City, and I thought we was number one barbecue until I went to Memphis. You're gonna get some hate mail now, there, Malcolm. <laughs> so Malcolm is working at um, Brian Evans Church in Detroit, 5.7 Community Church, and uh, we are just we're pumped to have him. He's he's interning there. Eventually, we're looking to bring him on as a resident, and so wanted to share a little bit of Malcolm's story and what God's been doing there. The other individual we have with us is Eric. Eric is working with Jeremy Roth in Dearborn at Redeemer Church, and Eric is from North Carolina. The, that's the promised land, is it not, Eric? Uh, yes, and we have the best barbecue. Whoa. I've never heard really? that said, I'd ever. Say I've never heard that said. Yeah, Just because you have it said does not mean it's not true. Sonny's is good, Sonny's barbecue, but that's not the best barbecue on the face of the earth. So. <laughs> This is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> so uh, Malcolm Griswold and Eric Keel are joining, Kristen Tola and myself, and so we're glad you're here. Um, th- there's a lot to talk about. The first thing I want to open with is I went to the DMV uh, this week. Uh, my tags were up on my car, and I quickly learned my birthday's coming up in March, so if you want to send some uh, fan mail and some love, appreciate it. But <laughs> I had to go to the DMV and get my new tags. Apparently, you're not allowed to have license plates that are over 10 years old. So I had to learn this the hard way. So now I had to shell out extra cash because they just love to take cash from us. And I decided, since um, my wife is on this mission to get a tattoo, her first tattoo, Chris Santola, her first tattoo, <laughs> and I am deathly afraid of needles, um, I decided to tattoo my car. And so I got a personalized license plate. And guess what it says? B.B. Warfield. And I was decided I'm going to raise my Presbyterian flag and just show everybody my colors. Oh, you know, go into the war zone. Let's, let's bring it on. And when I did it, I wrote out BB War FD, right? The lady kind of looked at me like, BB War? You know, she's trying to figure out what, what in the heck I'm referring to. And she asked the question, like, is this even legal? I think you were saying, Chris. And it's, yeah, I think it's legal. BB War, you know, that's nothing to be feared. <laughs> Uh, as kids, we used to get in BB wars all the time, so I, I think we're safe. I'm not. I'm not declaring jihad or anything like that. So, uh, good times there. Pretty stoked about that. But if you were to get a personalized uh, license plate, there's Mr. Santola. What would yours say? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I was just thinking of other ones you could have done. I mean, you could have gone for Westminster. I'm sure you could have like you know condensed that somehow. Westmin. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> we could have seen that happen. I have one friend out here, my buddy Brandon, who's his license Schofield? plate says I could have went for Schofield. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have gone. It was 1689. Stop. stop. <laughs> I'm surrounded by 1689 guys. Yeah, I got to throw that out there. But, but go ahead, Chris. What, what were you thinking? Oh, I was just thinking now, well, I'm safe over here. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you, Aaron. <laughs> I think just to combat you, I would have to get a James White tag to be to to raise the Reformed Baptist flag. There you go. There you go. And Malcolm, what about you? I would have to go with good old Spurgeon. Spurge. It would just say the Spurge. Yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> get one. It says Credo. <laughs> immerse. 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 That's right. <laughs> Chris, yours could say sprinkle. Sprinkle. Yep. <laughs> Do us a favor, listeners. Send us some of your suggestions for Chris's new license plate. Uh, think think about his character and his well-being when you send these. So hopefully we'll all chip in together and get Chris some new tags. Do they do it in California? Oh, they do, yeah. I, I'll tell you this, too. I almost got one one time that said bearded one. <laughs> the bearded wonder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cousin yeah. It. Cousin It. You look like Cousin It. <laughs> I think it's great because as I see the video right now of me talking to you guys, like my beard just blends in. So it's like you can only see my lips and like my cheeks up. Well, <laughs> I, I always envision your beard down to the floor because you like have the manliest beard I've ever seen. And yeah, I love when it's Rasputin like beard. Yeah, like Rasputin. When, it, when it's ungroomed, it's even better when it's just all over the place. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure your wife loves that. Does Becky love that? Oh, she's all about the beard. You know, I mean, uh, there's some gals I hear, they're like, oh, you know, that's disgusting. You know, you need to shave. And Becky's just like, no, she is all about it. I Sometimes I'm like, maybe I should kind of trim it down and do like business beard. And she's just like, what? Why would you even think of doing that? <laughs> what is there business beard? Explain that one to us. Business beard? Oh, that's like, you know, half inch or less. I mean, tip, I think optimally like quarter inch, you know, neat lines kind of. Uh, well, because I, I was thinking like business in the front, uh, party in the back, you know, that that's not what you're thinking. Well, it kind of is, but on the front of your face. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh... it's, everybody's got beards. I'm looking around. You know, Malcolm, you, you're, you're, you're scruffy. You got yeah. the scruff going. You've carried that a long time. Yeah, I have to keep it. Uh, my wife says I look like a lizard without a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine a lizard, and there you go. And, and Eric, you have this long, uh, uh, kind of scraggly, uh, what's, what's Fu Manchu kind of... This is the I'm 33 and I still can't grow a beard beard. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Baptist. <laughs> anyway, another big thing that's going on, right? This is Super Bowl week. So uh, when this hits, you know, and people are listening to it, they're going to be preparing for the Super Bowl and thinking about the reality that the – Philadelphia Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. And I say that just to give a little, you know, a little, little understanding here. I'm a Detroit uh -huh. Lions fan, but when you're a Detroit Lions fan, you always have to have another team. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, you know, you're disappointed every year. My, my team has <laughs> been the Philadelphia Eagles because my, my brother 
did an internship with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's in sports medicine, and I've always just loved the Eagles. Now, Ron Jaworski was the actual quarterback back then, and this is a long time ago, uh, back in the 80s, but it's just really cool to see this team at the Super Bowl. And so I'm pretty pumped about that. And even if the Eagles lose, which I don't think they will, yeah. but even if they lose, the Detroit Lions' new coach, that means he won, Matt Patricia. And so I'm a winner either way, guys. Oh, I'm a you know winner what? either way. We're not going to get any letters about license plates. We're not going to get any emails about beards. We're going to get all kinds of emails about the Super Bowl now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Absolutely. I do have a question. How many of your wives watch the Super Bowl with you? So my wife is a, uh, uh, I would say a fair weather fan, uh, but she is, if the Saints are in it, uh, she is jumping on the couch and screaming at the top of her lungs because she is a huge Saints fan. How long has that been? Uh, since we moved uh, to New Orleans in uh, 2006. And uh, they went to the Super Bowl not long after that. Uh, and one, so like I said, she's a she was a huge fan uh, of the Saints until we um, had kids and no longer had time for football. No, it's interesting because my, my wife only cares about the commercials. Yeah, she like basically comes to watch the commercials and halftime. Yeah. That's it. What about you, you guys, Chris, Malcolm? Well, uh, my wife, she really don't care about the Super Bowl. I mean, she don't care. <laughs> oh, see. <laughs> See, Becky and I, uh, we're a Seahawks household. And so ever since we moved to Washington, we like we adopted the Seahawks as our team. Because they're a winning like, team? No, just that was the home team. And when, when you live in Washington, like in Washington State, it doesn't matter where you go, like there is Seahawks merch everywhere. Chris, we call that bandwagon jumping. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> well, I never had another wagon. <laughs> it was like we moved there and we were like, hey, we need a team. Well, we live in Washington. Seahawks it is. And so we've kind of been with them ever since, but uh, obviously didn't do so well this year. Uh, we need a new offensive line. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, L.A. Rams, right, Chris? <laughs> but you know, now I'm back in California and I'm like, man, still Seahawks. But dude, uh, Becky, <laughs> Becky gets exercised about the Seahawks. I mean, we're watching them and she is into it. So when it comes to the Super Bowl, uh, I'm not really sure where uh, where she's at with it, but I, I know we're going to be watching and uh, – We'll see if your prediction turns to uh, reality. Fly, Eagles, fly, baby. Fly, Eagles, fly. All right, let's, let's turn the page, though. Let's, let's get our, our focus here. We're, we're going to discuss Chapter 26 of the Westminster Confession. And by the way, that happens to be Chapter 27. In the LBC. Uh, in the LBC. And the reason is because you guys need an extra chapter to talk about dispensationalism? No, the second LBC, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's considered a textual variant. <laughs> In either case, let's let's uh, let's uh, run over there. And as you look at it, it's entitled "Of the Communion of Saints." We're just going to talk about Chapter Twenty Six for the Westminster guys, Chapter Twenty Seven for the Sixteen Eighty Nine guys. But we're going to look at the first the first paragraph, and I'm going to read it, and then I want us to focus our 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 discussion today on the topic of fellowship. Mm -hmm. And this is what it says. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him in his graces, suffering, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, 
they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, Mm -hmm. as do conduce to their mutual good, both in the inward and the outward man. It's interesting that there's a whole chapter focused on the communion of the saints. And obviously the beginning half of that focuses on our communion in Christ and the idea that in Christ, by his spirit, we have faith um, and fellowship and we experience his graces, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his glory. But we're also united not only to Christ through the spirit, but we're united to one another in love. And that in that communion, there's this gift and graces that are exchanged and we're obliged, it says, to the performance of such duties, both public and private, Mm -hmm. for the mutual good. Mm -hmm. And so I want to focus on this idea of mutual good. Obviously, one of the hot passages that people throw around in churches these days is don't forsake the assembling together. So there's obviously an important aspect Mm -hmm. to the church being together. Chris, why don't you launch us off by talking about the necessity and the importance of assembling together. Sure. I think this is a huge, important subject in our culture and in our time because the whole mindset of so much of uh, American evangelicalism has been one that is highly individualistic when it comes to our faith. You know, it's all about the, the, quote, personal relationship with Jesus Uh, It's all about individual salvation. And I think a lot of that is the case uh, because of the influence of dispensationalism, uh, a lack of understanding of covenant uh, in the scriptures. And I think now, as we're seeing, we have been seeing more of a reformed resurgence uh, and a greater understanding of covenant, uh, that we're we're seeing an increase in understanding of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be the people of God. Throughout the New Testament, uh, you don't find any emphasis on like a, a lone ranger, you know, individualism in the church. It's always a corporate community. Like you're being saved as an individual, but the whole point is that you're being saved into something. Mm-hmm. You're you're being saved into a body, into a temple, into a covenant community. And, you know, you're being saved to become part of the bride of Christ that, uh, you know, you can go on. I mean, 1 Corinthians, I mean, uh, 12, 12, uh, 17 through 19, 27, all of that uh, really deals with this whole concept of the, the Christian as part of the body of Christ. That when someone was baptized, they were being brought into a covenant community. And so... I think as you quoted that passage from Hebrews there that's so often brought up, uh, it, it definitely uh, emphasizes the importance of gathering together. But I think we need to get underneath of that of like, why is it important that we don't forsake our gatherings? And I think it's because of the nature of who we are as Christians, what God has designed us to be, how we are designed to function as a body in community with one another, and that it's out of that that the the real work of sanctification happens uh, and that mission flows forth from that covenant community. It's interesting as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about uh, from the biblical theology perspective that Genesis to Revelation in is all built around this idea of communion. In, in, in the Garden of Eden, 
they have access to God and um, and they have this this communion with him. But as soon as they sin, they're kicked out of the garden. The angel is placed over that. And the entire rest of the Bible is aimed at restoring that communion. And God is pursuing man in the pursuit of communion, uh, whether it's uh, God calling Abraham out or God wrestling with Jacob. We see all of these pictures of where God is having communion and pursuing communion with man. I will be your God and you will be my people. And communion seems to be the centerpiece. And when you get all the way to Revelation, you have this communion restored and all the all of the nations, all of the tribes, all of the people and, and tongues are surrounded singing his praises together. And there's this idea of communion. I think we miss that when we only focus on the individual aspect of our faith. Mm-hmm. It's me and God. And I think that's a problem we, we, we we're working against in our culture is the individual aspect of society. What do you think, Malcolm? Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with that, Aaron. And, uh, and while you're in Genesis, I was thinking about, you know, when God began to make man, he said, you know, let us make man in our own image. And we see the unity there with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, unity is key. Eric, any thoughts on that? I think that uh, when, we, when we think about uh, being in a community together, to focus uh, so much on the individualistic nature um, of, of a, a me-centered theology, um, we take away the possibility of being sanctified together as a body. Um, so this, this actually came out today in, in the cohort that we had, um, that it is our desire and it's, it's our innate nature to uh, fellowship with those who are just like us. Um, that wear the same clothes, that had the same number of kids, um, even so far as to go um, to say those that, that homeschool their kids would separate from those that would send their kids to public school. And we divide along these these uh, lines that don't matter. Uh, but according to the confession, and I was just thinking about this, uh, all, the, all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him and his grace. We're not united by our skin tone, by our gender, by our uh, what our uh, uh, position is in society. We're united by Christ and what he has done on the cross and on behalf of us. So our, our identity as a group lies within what Christ has done, not within what we individually have done by ourselves. No, I, I appreciate that word. Um, one of the things you mentioned was we came out of cohort. And as I've stated before in our podcast, a desire for me has really been rooted in developing a cohort where um, men are getting together around the word who are trying to pastor churches together, specifically those who are involved in either revitalization or church planning. And we've been gathering now for some time. This was really born out of uh, the book um, that I saw the, the from the idea of the company of pastor, which talks about Geneva and how the pastors gathered together um, as Calvin really had a heart to see the pouring in of one to another. And while I have you guys here who are part of the cohort, I just wanted to get 
a sense of why you feel something like this is so important. So I'm going to go back to you for a second, Eric, and could you share just your own experience coming in from North Carolina into this uh, this group of a company of pastors here in Michigan and just explain how it maybe has benefited you? Yeah, so um, one of the things that was actually brought out to me, uh, and I, I, I've always uh, liked the idea of, of church planning, but have never really uh, embraced it uh, in its totality uh, until probably in the last year. Um, I was uh, at a, a school back in North Carolina before I came, um, Fruitland Baptist Bible College, and, and uh, there was one on missions. Um, and it was brought up that they're in the South, and it was a very churched town that the professor was from. He was a pastor in that town, uh, and he gave a statistic, and I'm going to uh, uh, butcher the statistic, but what he was saying was that even if every church in that community was filled every Sunday morning, that would still only be about 15 to 20 percent of the population of that town that was attending a church. I had never thought about thought about it that way. Uh, I, I, my thought was, why do you need more church plants? You need to fill the ones you got. But again, even if um, if every church was filled, there's not enough room for the number of people uh, that, that we have to minister the gospel to. And so one of the things that, that I've seen here in this cohort is that desire to reach people, uh, not just to, to stay planted in a particular area, but to actually reach uh, every person with the gospel of Jesus. And it's been good to see, to share experiences, uh, things that have worked, things that haven't worked, um, always directing our attention back to the gospel always uh, uh, directing our attention back to the work of Christ uh, in the church, um, where so easily, again, going back to this individual nature uh, so often that, that we deal with, um, it's good to get in a group of guys and share those experiences and see uh, how it is that Christ is working in the collective body of Christ. What about you, Malcolm? Well, uh, <clears throat> coming out of uh, Houston, Texas, we only been here for going on two months now being here in Michigan, and uh, for me, it's been a breath of, of fresh air, man, just to be around like-minded brothers. We got brothers in urban and suburban areas, and then we even got brothers that, that's, uh, you know, cross denominational lines, which is uh, good for me to see because I come from a, a straight missionary Baptist background, and you only hung out with, with those people who, who believe what you believe, pretty much, so it was good for me to come in and see these brothers, you know, crossing uh, denominational lines. And it's been a blessing to me to uh, just be in this uh, fellowship with you guys, man. And uh, it's been rich. And, 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 and you know, uh, learning from you guys' experience has been a blessing. And, of course, the, the thing that bonds us all together is our, is our confessionalism, that we, we all hold to the creeds and the confessions. And as we, as we do that, we can, we can hold each other accountable to those Reformed confessions that we— all proclaim and attest mm -hmm. to. And so, Chris, I want to bring us back to that idea. How does confessionalism play a role in this communion of saints? That it, guys that are out there who are listening and, and, and people that are thinking through it, that collectives are important, getting people together. But if you just grab a bunch of people and you're not bound around something, that it you're not going to have that same uh, unity. Of course, Christians can fellowship. I can be at the grocery store and a clerk who's waiting on me, hey, I can tell she's a Christian because there's just a bond. But even right. so, <laughs> there's still we're still not walking in, a, in, in the same way that I can be when I have that confessional bond with people. Want to speak to that? 
Yeah, man. First of all, I mean, just to take it again to the scripture, uh, which is always the, the first and foremost, our source of unity that, uh, you know, I hear people sometimes will say, well, I'm just part of the universal church. And yet the scriptures never address the universal church. Uh, the letters of the New Testament are all written to local churches, uh, even churches maybe in a particular region, uh, such as Ephesians, perhaps. But, uh, you know, you see Jesus in Revelation, who gives seven epistles to seven actual local church congregations there in Asia Minor. Uh, so the church, uh, uh, local churches are always the focus of what's going on throughout the New Testament. Not this concept of just being part of that global church. Like you said, you know, yeah, I can go out there and recognize, hey, this this is a brother, this is a sister. They're, they're part of the body of Christ. But there's still this massive emphasis in the scriptures on being part of a local communion of saints, a local church. Now, with that said, when you get to the confessions, all they do is affirm that and say, yes, we are called to gather to be part of the communion of saints, and for a lot of different reasons. And I think in church planting, this is important because, one, it's going to keep our focus right. It's going to keep the main thing the main thing. And even as pastors are getting together, uh, church planters getting together, reminding one another of those things, we get to exhort and encourage and build up one another, correct one another, and make sure that we're staying within that uh, that confessional uh, bound, that, that we are staying lined up with the Scripture in that, because there are, and I think you'd agree with me in this, I mean, you start getting out there into the world of ministry, and even particularly church planting, which has been a, a very popular subject now for the last decade or so, uh, particularly, that uh, you start running into all kinds of books on philosophy of ministry, and here's how you do it, and here's the right formula, and this is how you're going to grow your church. And you can get so caught up into all of that that you start really losing focus on what the church is and what it is you're really supposed to be doing, creating a community of disciples who love God supremely, who love one another, who serve one another, who are building one another up, who are utilizing the gifts that the Holy Spirit has endowed them with to build up the body of Christ, who are under the spiritual authority of a, a biblical eldership. Um, you know, And so that's why I think being in one— uh, a confessional, well, really just to say a confessional cohort can be so important is it keeps us from straying off and, and perhaps starting to buy into any of these things that, uh, you know, might be very pragmatic, but not very biblical. It's, it's very interesting to me when I talk to people and they say, well, you know, having a confession or creed like that, it divides. Maybe a creed because it's less specific. When you start to hold confessions up, they're going to start to divide people up. And I say, no, no, confessions were actually written to create unity. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. been my experience with the cohort, that having brothers who hold to the London Baptist or me, the Westminster Confession of Faith, we can still hold each other accountable. But I also know what these, what these, what these guys believe concerning Scripture. I know their understanding of the sovereignty of God. I know their perspective of the importance of, of the Trinity. And, and, and as we walk through, I'm not wondering, you know, what, what are what they think about 
and I'm hoping that we're all on the same page. No, there's boundaries, and these boundaries are good so that we can encourage each other in the Lord. And I think that's partly what I've been hearing you guys say. Yeah. There's been a refreshing and an encouragement to, to being able to walk side by side because we don't have all these question marks above our head. So, Yeah, so I, I think that's, uh, uh, that's right on. One of the things that was um, brought out in the cohort this morning was that uh, when you start th- uh, defining terms, and or f- maybe for, for those that would say, you know, I was brought up in a Christian uh, household, or or I just uh, abide by uh, the Word of God, uh, so- something that's very very general. Uh, there are Christian, quote unquote, Christians all around the world that would say the same thing, but mean something drastically different. Um, Jehovah Witnesses again use the same terms that we use. Mormons use the same terms that we'd use. But they have completely different different definitions for those words, like faith, uh, faith or grace or justification. And so, um, when we, as a uh, confessional group, get together, we know exactly what we're talking about when we use particular terms, and so we can move forward, not having to um, debate or divide over uh, uh, foundational truths. When we all agree on those those things, we can move forward together. I guess one of the things we need to start to move in this conversation is the direction towards how does it in Ephesians 4? You, you alluded to it, Chris, when you talk about the different gifts and abilities. And, and the confession deals with that when it talks about they have communion in each other's gifts. They have communion in each other's gifts and graces, it says. And they are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as to conduce to their mutual good. And so when you think about the different gifts and how we're dependent, obviously 1 Corinthians 12 comes to mind, that we're a body with many parts. But how does Ephesians 4, I always think of, remember uh, the old cartoon Voltron, and you think about the old cartoon Voltron, and it was all these different, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing at. But you Points think, for the Voltron reference. There you go. But you think about when they, they come together to make this mega, this mega robot, right? And this idea is that when we come together, there is more power. There is more. Uh, there is. There, you know. There's. There's just more uh, good that comes from being together than when we're trying to do things on our own. And I think we miss that. And so let's talk, gentlemen, about the First Corinthians twelve and the Ephesians four and how they play in and why our listeners should be encouraged to commune with one another in in in, in the church for that purpose and the, and the betterment and the good that comes from that. So who wants to go first? Who wants to tackle that? Chris, go for it. <laughs> got my hand up yeah. over here. Uh, no, I think one of the things I always tell people is this, that obviously the scripture tells us places like uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, uh, Ephesians 4, that we've all been given particular giftings by the Holy Spirit for the good of the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ, to minister to others. I said, these take place in the context of community. And if you're not in community, if you're not regularly, consistently attending a local church, uh, then what's happening there is, one, you are robbing those other believers of the spiritual gifts that you have been given to impart something to them. You're robbing them of that because of your absence. But beyond that, you are also robbing yourself of the spiritual gifts of those other believers 
who they would otherwise, if you were there and present and in community with them, they would be ministering their gifts to you. So when we fail to be a part of the communion of saints and we're not in community in a local fellowship, that uh, really it breaks down the way that God has intended to strengthen and encourage and build up his people. Yeah. Amen, Chris. And uh, as uh, we got uh, 1 Corinthians open, uh, and I'm looking at uh, verse uh, 21, uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So it just goes to show that within the, this body of Christ that we, we need one another. Uh, uh, and uh, I like this old gospel song. It says, uh, I need you to survive. And and we need one another, you know, in this race uh, that that's marked out for us to uh, lean on each other because, you know, Barnabas was an encourager and Paul, Paul and Barnabas was together. And, and that, that sense of unity there for needing one another because Barnabas was able to, uh, you know, encourage Paul on his journey as well. Yeah, oh, Romans, right chapter, Romans chapter 12 says, uh, For by the grace given to me, this is verse 3, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has assigned it, not thrown it out randomly, but it, but we've been each given something different, uh, been assigned by God. Verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members uh, of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And he goes on uh, through, the, uh, through different gifts that have been given. Um, but as I was teaching through this one time, um, uh, it, uh, in God's providence, there was a girl that had tore ACL skiing, um, uh, walking through this, and uh, she was describing what the body uh, looks like or how the body functions when a particular muscle goes out or a tendon is tore. There, all the other muscles uh, start having to pick up the slack for that one tendon that has been torn. The body is not designed to function that way. It it can, but it uh, it suffers when not every aspect of the body is functioning the way that God has intended it uh, to. And the uh, again, it's the same way uh, in the church. Yeah. The the you know, Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say we we've got our Reformed Baptist brothers with us here today, and so I thought I would drop a little Spurgeon on us. <laughs> All right, Chris. Can I do that? Go, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Chris. Uh, you know, Spurgeon— uh, I think Spurgeon once... was Presbyterian. I really do. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. You, we can ask no, no. him that in heaven. <laughs> this was something Spurgeon once said. Let me read this to you guys. He said, uh, I know there are some who say, well, I've given myself to the Lord, but I don't intend to give myself to any church. I say, now why not? And they answer, because I can be just as good a Christian without it. I say— uh, <clears throat> Are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient. There's a brick. What is the brick made for? It's made to build a house. Uh, it is of no use for the brick to tell you that it's just as good a brick while it's kicking about on the ground by itself as if it would be part of a house. Uh, actually, it's a good-for-nothing brick. So, you Rolling Stone Christians, I don't believe that you're answering the purpose for which Christ saved you. You're living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury you do. 
Ouch. Man. <laughs> that's a that's a Spurgeon punch in the throat. Mm-hmm. Wow. I want to go back to something that Malcolm brought up. He used the example of Barnabas, the encourager. Absolutely. And Paul. I mean, and, and it's interesting because Barnabas was willing to stand in the gap when everybody was questioning whether or not they should trust trust this guy. And yet you look at the blessing Paul was to the church. You know, and had there not been a Barnabas, and I know, okay, there was, and God's sovereign and all that. I get it, but the idea that God used Barnabas, imagine the encouragement Barnabas was to that Paul at that point in his life, at that point in his ministry. And I think we we miss that opportunity to be a blessing and encouragement um, and in using our giftedness. Um, to for the furtherance of the gospel in the church mm-hmm. and um, even preaching the gospel to one another and calling each other to faith and to to obedience and you look at that I just think we miss it and you come to Ephesians 4 and you see this God's given the the gifts of of, of teaching and 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 ministry and and all of the evangelists all the things that are listed there because they're necessary and yet He's dispersed them, as you've already alluded to there, Eric, in his own accord, in his own way, for his own purpose, so that we all need to fit together, and we all need to be together. And so if I could take a minute and just get my hobby horse to all of the listeners, start a cohort where you're at. If you're if you're a mom, grab other moms and get together and pray for each other and be in the word together. If you're a church planner, find other church planners to get with. Use those boundaries such as confessions to make sure you're on the same page. And mm-hmm. use that as a, a guardrail to keep you walking together. But get together and, 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 and use those opportunities to pour into one another. And I, and I think we, we just don't want to miss this because this is a, a, an important aspect of the church is this fellowship, this communion that we need to be striving towards. Yeah. So, And, you know, ahead. if I might even say, man, you know, having engaged in church planting and stuff, I think it is so crucial to be part of a group of pastors, to have those guys that you know, you love, you trust, and that can speak kind of into your life and, uh, you know, that they can bring encouragement, they can bring correction uh, and let's be real about it. Look, you're going to have days as a pastor that you're discouraged and you're just wondering, man, you know, you, you just feel like, is, is this working? I mean, what is going on? Uh, and you need those other people around you like that to be there to support you and love you. And, and you're at times going to be the support to them. I mean, I have found that is such a huge thing to me in doing ministry at the pastoral level. And I think, honestly, to take it down from there, you know, it's the same for us just as Christians. Uh, you know, if we're not part of that body and we're not in fellowship with the, the community of saints, that there's not going to be that type of an encouragement around us. There, there's, you know, we're, we're kind of just hanging on our own. And there's, where are we going to receive correction if we start going sideways, you know, where are we going to receive encouragement from if, you know, we're, we're having a hard time if we're not part of the body of Christ in a local church community that, I mean, I just think I can't imagine 
trying to live the Christian life, much less trying to do ministry apart from a cohort of, of like-minded people like that. Yeah, again, let me say this to the pastor, the church planter, the revitalizer. Don't go alone. Don't be alone. Pursue this community because this community is a place to find strengthening and encouragement. Everything you just said, Chris. I want to give both our guests an opportunity to kind of give some closing remarks regarding this. And I don't know if either one of you has anything you want to say, but just an opportunity. So one of the things I was thinking about is we, we've talked about what, what fellowship is. And I think it's just as important, especially from, from my background, to say what fellowship is not. Um, uh, I come from a Southern Baptist background all my life, want to fight about it. Uh, but uh, but when, when you think about Southern Baptist and you think about fellowship, we have a fellowship hall on every church. Uh, and so what it means to fellowship is to simply get together, have a potluck, uh, and and talk about uh, Aunt, Aunt Diane's cat. We have a Knox Hall or a, or a, a Calvin Hall. Or, no, go ahead. But um, but that's that's not fellowship. Uh, and too often we fall in that um, that I can't think of where I'm looking for. But we fall in that lane that that thinks that fellowship is simply gathering together and and sharing a meal. It's so much more than simply eating together. It's so much more than simply doing a Bible study together. It is uh, the body of Christ getting together and uh, and, and adoring Him. Uh, one of the things that, that we were looking at earlier the uh, in the book, The Work of the Pastor by William Steele, he says, a true Christian fellowship is a place where stray cats and dogs can find a home. Amen. It's a hospital where the only sin is to hide your wounds from the doctor and nurse. That's so much more than... Uh, fried chicken on a Sunday. It's it, it's a much more full view of what fellowship actually is. It's real authenticity, which everybody yep. talks about, and they pretend to have, yeah. but gathering around, um, and, and I'm not knocking this, but gathering around homeschool curriculum, as important as that is, and I, and I believe it is important to choose the right curriculum, but, but not to be a place where you're being honest and being vulnerable and the gospel is speaking in, how much how much energy do we put to all those other things to belonging to the right baseball association for our kids or the Kiwanis group or whatever it is that you're you're a part of in your in your local community? How much more important to be invested in a gospel community? Amen. Amen. So, Mark Malcolm. Yeah, man. I just you know, uh, man, that's a Christian cannot grow in isolation, and uh, you know, not being around other Christians. Uh, there's, there's no such thing, you know. So, uh, so yeah, as the body, man, we, we need one another. Uh, and like uh, like Eric was saying, you know, uh, fellowship is more than just bringing fried chicken and talking about stuff, but just, uh, you know, dying with each other together in life and in ministry and when things are good and when things are bad, uh, we, we learn to uh, to walk with the believers because, uh, yeah, that's important. Amen. Amen. Chris? No, that, that's it, man. I think what we've hit on today is really something that, as seemingly simple as it is, is so often neglected, and it is really something that is so close to the heart of what the church is. And, you know, that uh, if we get this wrong, that there's a lot of other stuff that the church is to be that is going to, you know, really struggle and suffer because— we're, we don't have a good foundation in being what we are called to be as the church. 
that being a, a local community of saints. Yeah. Um, as we kind of bring this thing to a close and as everybody begins to think about the, uh, the license plate recommendations for Chris and Tola and start <laughs> uh, getting ready to celebrate with the green and white uh, fly eagles fly and wondering how long your beard should be to be considered reformed. Um, I want to close all that with, with a reading just from uh, Psalm 133. And it's uh, a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be in unity. It says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is. No, don't miss that. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like a precious oil on the head running down the beard on the beard of Aaron. And that's special to me, man. I read this passage almost every year at our annual meeting, just because I always want to get a good uh, smile at everybody when they hear the beard of Aaron. But uh, you know how <laughs> how precious it is. Uh, you know when brothers dwell in unity, it's like precious oil on the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls upon the mountains of Zion. It's a precious, sweet fellowship. And uh, going back to that biblical theology that good old uh, Gerhard Voss gives us, it's about community. Genesis to Revelation, it's all about, about communion with God and with one another as we are in Christ and that fellowship we have together, assembled around that throne, praising his name. Our mission is clear. Our purpose is clear. Our theology is clear, and, we, and, we, and we're focused. And so I just want to encourage our listeners, if you're not in fellowship, get in fellowship. Everybody, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Ready? One, two, three, go. Uh, come on, man. <laughs> you gotta, gotta oh, give us. No. All right, all right, I'm gonna give y'all something. All right, check this out. All right, I'm ten toes uh, down on the east. You can catch me in the middle of the streets. I got the gospel. If you need it, it's free. You can holler at me. All right, Eric, oh, yeah. let's hear the honky tonk version. <laughs> I'm offended. <laughs>